talking about the Spirit of God. We're talking about Pentecost. And uh, this morning we dealt with the issue of who is the Holy Spirit. And we firmly made a case this morning that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is a person. Would you say that with me? The Holy Spirit is a person. He is the third person of the Godhead. He is not an it. He is not a force. But He is an actual person. As a matter of fact, Jesus said in John 14, 17, The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you will know Him, for He dwells with you and shall be in you. You see the personal pronoun, Him, Him, Him. Jesus is referring to the Holy Spirit as a person. As a person. You see, over and over, the Scripture reveals to us, Romans 8.27, Now he who searches the hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. You see, the Holy Spirit has a mind. He is searching out things. The Holy Spirit has a will, 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 11. But the one and the same Spirit works all of these things, distributing each one individually as He wills. So the Holy Spirit has a will. The Holy Spirit has a mind. And then we also know the Holy Spirit has emotions. He can be grieved. Isaiah 63 and verse number 10. Isaiah 63 verse number 10 but they rebelled and grieved His Holy Spirit, so He turned Himself against them as an enemy and fought against them. So, just I made that case this morning that the Holy Spirit is a divine person, the third person of the Godhead, equal with God, co-eternal, co-existence, and co-equal with God the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. The second question we dealt with this morning is this. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? We know that the Holy Spirit is a person, but what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? The Scripture records in Acts 2 in verse 4 that those who were in the upper room were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now in the book of Acts, excuse me, in the Old Testament, the word Spirit is ruach, which means to breathe. In the New Testament, the word Spirit means pneuma, which is wind. So in both cases, Old and New Testament, you have a different word for the Spirit. The word Spirit in the Hebrew in the Old Testament is breath. When, at, when God breathed into Adam, he became a living soul. So God's Holy Spirit is the creative force that caused Adam to come into existence. And then in the New Testament, the word for Spirit is wind. And on the day of Pentecost, the wind came, and the wind was the creative force that caused the church to be birthed. It was the life-giving force. John said it like this in Luke 3.16. Luke 3.16, John answered and said, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose, for he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John 3.16, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. That deals with salvation. But Luke 3.16 deals with the experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. One of the important scriptures that I brought out this morning that
that I think is worth reviewing once again is John chapter 20. There's no need to turn there, but look behind me. John chapter 20, St. John chapter 20. And I want you to see this. This is so very important that you see this. And I believe it's worth repeating again. Because if you don't see this, some of the pieces of the puzzle will not go together. In John chapter 20 and verse number 19. John chapter 20 and verse number 19. It says this, John 20, 19. Then the same day at the evening, beginning of the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and said, Peace be unto you. And when he had said this, he showed him, he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said unto them again, Peace to you. As my Father has sent me, I send to you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So in this scripture, Jesus shows up and he does something profound. He breathes on the disciples. He says to them, receive the Holy Spirit. It is my conviction, as many other theologians believe, that the disciples were not born again until John chapter 20. It was in John chapter 20 that the disciples received the Holy Spirit in new birth. They were born again. They were functioning under the law, the law of Moses, just like Jesus was. But in John chapter 20, after the resurrection of Jesus, he breathes upon them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And that is what we call salvation because every believer who is born again has received the Holy Spirit at conversion. Would you agree with that? Say amen. So it is my conviction and so is it most theologians of the Pentecostal charismatic persuasion believes that what happens here is the, whole, the Holy Spirit breathes upon them and they become converted. They are born again, just like God breathed His Spirit into Adam and Adam became a living being. So don't the disciples. Their spirit that is dead becomes regenerated by the working of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Somebody say amen. So, but now, if you look over one other chapter, if you go to the next book, the book of Acts chapter number 1 and verse number 5. Now look at this. Acts chapter 1 verse 5. For John truly baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You see that? In John chapter 20, in John chapter 20, he says to them, receive the Holy Spirit. But in Acts chapter 1, he says to wait for the Spirit. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm not a very smart person, but it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. Why do they have to wait for something that they've already received? The disciples already have the Spirit come upon them when Jesus blew upon them. But yet, Jesus tells them right before He's ascended that you need to wait for the Holy Spirit. Well, I thought the Holy Spirit was already breathed upon them. Because John chapter 20, these disciples are converted. These disciples are born again under the dispensation of grace. They are born again. But in Acts chapter 1, 
Jesus is talking about a different experience, separate from salvation, separate from being born again. In other words, Jesus is simply saying, you are born again through the Holy Spirit, but you need to go to Jerusalem and wait because the Spirit of God is going to come upon you and it's going to empower you to do my work and my mission in the world. My case this, this evening is this, ladies and gentlemen. Salvation, you are born again through the Holy Spirit. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit. I don't care if you're Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian. If you have confessed Jesus, repented of your sin, the only reason that you can call Jesus Lord is by the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that drew you to Jesus. The Holy Spirit always points to Jesus. So no matter what denomination you are part of, if you believe and trust in Jesus, repented of your sin, then the Holy Spirit was at work in your life and you have the Holy Spirit. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit, but not every Christian has the baptism of the Holy Spirit and that is a separate experience. The Bible is clear in Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. I want you to look at it and it'll be behind me if you don't have your Bible. Titus chapter 3 and verse number 5. Titus chapter 3 and verse number 5. I want you to look at the wording here in Titus chapter 3 verse 5. I want you to look at the wording here uh, uh, of the apostle as he describes the working of the Holy Spirit. He says in verse number 5, not by works of righteousness which you have done, but according to His mercy He has saved us through the washing of the regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So are you born again through the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit working in your life? Yes. The only reason you can be born again is through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the washing and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Again, I will say this. Not every person who is saved has the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Not every person that is saved has the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Before I go in Scripture, because what I'm going to do, I'm going to go in Scripture and I'm going to, in the book of Acts, I'm going to use the book of Acts as my template. And in the book of Acts, I'm going to show you people being saved, and then I'm going to show you people receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is a separate experience. And we're going to look at the book of Acts as our template, and we're going to see the difference between these two experiences. Before I do, I want to look at two examples of the, in the Old Testament and we know that the Old Testament, there are, in the Old Testament, there are types and shadows in the Old Testament that points to something in the New Covenant. Would you agree with that? The Lamb that's in the Old Testament is a type, type of the Lamb of God in the New Testament. Passover in the Old Testament is a type of a communion service that we participate in once a month. There are types and shadows in the Bible. And if you look at the Old Testament, I believe that in the pages of the Old Testament, you can see a type and shadow of salvation and also the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So before I get to the book of Acts and I show you where people are saved and then they receive the Holy Spirit, I want to go to the Old Testament and give you two examples of a type of the salvation and baptism experiences in the Old Testament. If you will take your Bible, if you don't, it'll be behind me. If you'll take it and look at Le uh, Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 14, 
Leviticus chapter 14, and it's important that you see this and you see what's happening uh, 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 in, this, in this particular story. Luke cha- uh, excuse me, Leviticus chapter 14, Leviticus chapter 14, Leviticus chapter 14, and beginning with verse number 14. Leviticus chapter 14 and verse number 14. This is the ritual that is described in the Bible where lepers are cleansed, where lepers are cleansed. Leviticus chapter 14, verse 14. Look at the wording here. The priest shall take some of the blood of the trespass offering, and the priest shall put it on the tip of the right, the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. You see that? So it's on his ear, it's on his thumb, and it's on his toe. So he shall put blood there. Then verse 15, And the priest shall take some of the log of oil and pour it onto the palm of his left hand. And the priest shall dip his right finger in oil that is in the left hand, and he shall sprinkle some of the oil with his finger seven times before the Lord. And the rest of the oil in his hand, the priest shall put some on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, on the thumb of the right hand, on the big toe of the right foot, and the blood of the trespass offering. Now look at verse 18. The rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand shall shall be put on the head of him who is to be cleansed, so that the priest shall make atonement for the Lord. Now this is interesting. The priest is making a ritual for those who are contaminated, uh, those who are lepers. And this is the ritual. They come before the priest and he takes blood. He takes blood, and I'm just going to paraphrase here. He takes blood, puts it on his, uh, his right ear, puts it on his thumb, and puts it on his big toe. Is that correct? He puts blood on his ear, his thumb, and his toe, And then the priest puts some oil on his hands, takes it, sprinkles the oil, and then he also not only sprinkles the oil, but takes the oil from his hand and puts oil on his right ear, his thumb, and his big toe. And then lastly, what does the priest do? Takes the rest of the oil and puts it over his head. Now, this is a beautiful description of someone being saved and then somebody receiving the other experience, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because the blood represents salvation. And you cannot be saved unless you have the blood. But not only was the blood applied to the toe and the ear and the thumb, but the oil was also applied to the ear, the thumb, and the toe. Which tells me this, that at salvation, the blood of Jesus cleanses you, but also the oil, which is the Holy Spirit, is at work at salvation. And not only is the Holy Spirit at work at salvation, oil, not only is the blood at work, but guess what happens? The rest of the oil that's in his hands, he puts it up on top of the person. I believe, hallelujah, that represents the other experience, which is the baptism of fire of the Holy Ghost. Not only is the oil applied to the ear, the thumb, and the toe, not only is the blood applied But ladies and gentlemen, the oil was also applied to the head, which symbolizes just because you have the oil on you doesn't mean you have all of it. It has to be poured on your head. Somebody give God praise and glory. 
So you see what's happening here? Blood and oil was both used at first because Jesus' blood and the Holy Spirit is working at, at conversion. You can't be saved unless the Spirit draws you, and you can't be saved if, if the blood is not applied. The blood has to be applied, and the oil has to be applied at conversion. So this answers the question, does our Methodist friends, does our Baptist friends, and does those other Christians, do they have the blood of Jesus applied to their heart? Yes. Do they have the oil applied on them? Yes. Do they have the Spirit of God in them? Yes. But oftentimes we stop there because there's some more oil in the hands of the priest and he desires to put the oil on top of your head. For John indeed baptized you with water, but there is somebody coming after me and he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Somebody say praise the Lord. Somebody say amen. Now I want you to go, let's look at another typology. Let's, a type. Let's go to Luke chapter 2. I mean, excuse me, I want to say Luke. It's Leviticus chapter 2. Leviticus chapter 2. Leviticus chapter 2. And I want you to look at verse number 5 and 6. Leviticus chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. And this is, this is, a, this is a grain offering that God is, is asking the people. Oh, this is the law of Moses, and this is how you make a grain offering. Uh, Leviticus chapter 2 and verse number 5. I alluded to this this morning, but I want to show it to you in Scripture. Lu uh, excuse me, Leviticus chapter number 2 and verse number 5. But if your offering is a grain offering, do you see that? Baked in a pan, it shall be mixed with fine flour, unleavened, mixed with, mixed with, look at verse 6. And ye shall break it into pieces and shall pour oil on it. It is a grain oil. So not only is the oil in it, but the oil will be placed upon it. See, at conversion, the Holy Spirit who represents the oil is in you. But ladies and gentlemen, I believe the other experience is when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The oil in you and the oil upon you. How do we know in Scripture that these two experiences are different? They're totally different. Now, can you be saved and filled with the Holy Ghost in one night? Yes. How many have seen that a lot? I have seen that a lot in my own ministry. I've seen that a lot growing up in church where somebody is converted right there and almost instantaneously they receive the Holy Spirit. Now, that doesn't always happen, but I've seen that a lot. So it can happen in one night, but my point is there are two separate experiences, salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What does the word baptism mean? The Greek word baptism is a baptismo, which means this, to immerse, to immerse. Now let me say this, and this is so important that you get this. In Scripture, in Scripture, it looks as though, it looks as though, if you look at the New Testament, it looks as though there's three baptisms. Three baptisms. Now the word baptism means to immerse, to come into, to immerse. Baptismo, to immerse. And it looks as though in the New Testament there are three baptisms. Now, don't lose me. That's what it looks like in the New Testament. The first baptism is called the baptism of fellowship. And you know what the baptism of fellowship is? 
is when somebody who is a sinner gets converted. They are changed from the darkness of light, changed from the the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. In other words, get this, they are brought in, they are immersed in salvation, they are brought into the family of God. Does that make sense? Number two is water baptism. And water baptism is a public sign of what you had done spiritually. And the water baptism is a witness. Somebody say a witness. A witness. It is a witness. So the first baptism happens spiritually. You are immersed into the family of God. You are immersed into the fellowship. Number two, you are water baptized to show that you're a witness of the community. And thirdly, you are baptized with fire. And the reason with fire is because fire denotes moving. And you are called to take the message and you are to move. You are to be a witness. You are to be missional. So there are three baptisms. The first baptism is you are brought into the family of God. The second baptism is that you are baptized in water to show a public witness of your faith. The third baptism is when the Spirit immerses you with power so that you will go forth and do a, be a witness. Not sit in a church pew, but get up and be a witness for the cause of Christ. If you've got the Spirit of God, then you are called to serve. You are called to do something. You're not called to sit in a church pew. You're not even called to pray about doing something. I'm so tired of hearing that. My God, if you've got the Holy Ghost on the inside of you, you are called to get up and go. Hey, hallelujah. Somebody say amen. Are y'all learning tonight? Say praise the Lord. Now let's look at the book of Acts. And now, why is this important? Because in the book of Acts, you see all three baptisms. You see him getting saved. You see him getting water baptized. And then you see him getting the Holy Ghost. Okay? Let's go to the ministry of Philip, Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Orlando, can you get me some tissues there? Acts chapter 8. And I want you to look at verse number 5. Acts chapter 8 and verse number 5. Acts chapter 8, verse number 5. This is our first example to prove that salvation and baptism or spirit baptism are two separate experiences. Acts chapter 8, verse number 5. If you're there, say, I'm there. If you're there, say, I'm there. All right, then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitude with one accord gave heed to those things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was great joy in the city. But there was a certain man called Simon, who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished many people of of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed, for the least is the greatest, saying, This man has great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God, And the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed, and he was baptized and converted, or or continued, with Philip, and was amazed seeing the miracles and the signs which was done. 
Now, do you see what's happening here? The city of Samaria gave heed to Philip, did they not? And they believed Philip. Philip is preaching, and they all believed it. As a matter of fact, who was in the city? Simon, somebody who practiced sorcery. And the Bible says he believed. So he believed. The city of Samaria believed. And guess what Philip does? He baptizes Simon in water. Verse 14. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God. Now did you see that? In other words, this city was converted. This city was saved. They had received the word of God. Now everybody say this with me loud and clear. The city received the word of God. The Bible says in the book of Romans, how can they hear without a preacher? They were preaching the word. They gave heed to the word of God. And we believe they were saved. How do we know they were saved? Verse 8 says there was great joy in the city. So these people got saved. Simon got saved. Now, the people in Jerusalem, it's kind of like the headquarters of our denomination. Here and something's happening in Galena. So they're, they're here and something's happening. And they sent Peter and John down. Look at verse 15. Verse 15. And when they had come down, they prayed for them that they, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. You see that? For as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered money. Now let's stop here. Let me ask you a question. Philip is in the city preaching. And did the city become converted? Did they give heed to the word of God? Did they believe the message of Philip? Did Simon believe the message of Philip? Did he get baptized? Now, Peter and John, who is in Jerusalem, heard about it. They go down to the city, and guess what? They said they knew that the Holy Spirit hadn't fallen upon anyone. So guess what they did? They had an old-fashioned prayer meeting, laid hands on these disciples, and what happened? They were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, let's stop here. Nowhere in this text does it say they spoke with tongues. But we assume they spoke in tongues. Do you know why? Look at verse number 18. Verse 18. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the hands, the Holy Spirit was given. How do you see the Holy Spirit? So Simon had to see something physical to convince him they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And in most cases in the New Testament, when somebody was filled with the Spirit, especially in the book of Acts, the very first thing they do is speak with other languages. But in this case, you don't see that happening, but we know it happened because Simon saw something. He had, you can't see the Holy Spirit. He's invisible. But he saw that when the apostles laid hands on them, there was a physical evidence to prove that these people had received the Holy Spirit. Somebody say amen. Look at verse 19. He said, give me this power also that anyone whom I lay hands on might receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, your money perish with you because you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. 
You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness and pray to God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven. For I see that you are poisoned by the bitterness and bound by your iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me, that none of these things which you have spoken may come upon me. And so they had testified and preached the word of the Lord and returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many villages and Samaria. So what do you see here? We are convinced in Acts chapter 8 that the city of Samaria was saved. They gave heed to the word of God. Would you agree with that? They gave heed to the word of God. They believed the message of Philip. Not only did they give heed, the Bible says there was great joy in the city. And not only did they believe, the Bible says that Peter and John heard that this city was converted. They came to the city and laid hands on them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. So it is with my deepest conviction that I preach to you tonight and tell you that there are two separate experiences here. They gave heed to the Word of God. They were born again. And yet the disciples, Peter and John, prayed for them that they might receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Simon saw something to convince him that they had received the Spirit of God. Two separate experiences. Salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Two separate things. What about Acts chapter 9? Go to Acts chapter 9. This is the conversion of Paul. This is the conversion of Paul in Acts chapter 9. We know that uh, actually his name was Saul. And uh, you see that Saul was a persecutor of the Christians. Okay, And the Christians were called the way in verse number 2. The way. Is that right? That was the name of the Christians. The way, in Acts chapter 9 verse 2, these early Christians were referred to as the way, or of the way. Uh, later their name was changed in Antioch to Christians. And so I want you to see here what happens to Saul. Verse number 1, Acts 9 verse 1. Acts 9 verse 1. And Saul, still breathing the threats and the murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there was a light shone round on him, around him from heaven. He fell to the ground and heard a loud voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? The Lord said, I am Jesus. And so he trembled and was astonished and said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go down to the city. You'll be told what to do. Verse 7, and The men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were open, he saw no one, and they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. He was there for three days without any sight, neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple in Damascus called Ananias. And to the Lord, and the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here am I, Lord. And the Lord said, Arise and go down to the street called Straight. Now, isn't it amazing? The street was called Straight, and the believers were called the Way. You'll get that later. Arise and go down to the street. Because how many knows if you're going to stay in the Way, you've got to be straight? <laughs> Somebody say, Praise the Lord. 
Arise and go down to the street called Straight and inquire of a house of Judas for the one of Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man, Ananias, coming in and putting his hands on him that he might receive his sight. And Ananias answered and said, Lord, I've heard many things about this man and how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And there he has authority from the chief priest to bind all those who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go. For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered his house, laying his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he received his sight and he was baptized. So he... and so he had received food and was strengthened. Then Saul was spent many days with the disciples at Damascus. I hope you see what's happening. How do I know that Saul was saved? Well, the very first thing that tells me that Saul was saved was that the Lord tells Ananias he's a chosen vessel. So obviously this man's going to get converted because the Lord says to Ananias, he is my chosen vessel. I want you to go pray for him. Verse number 17 when Ananias comes into Saul, Ananias refers to him as Brother Saul. Everybody shout out Brother Saul. So he referred to him as Brother Saul as indicating that Saul is now a part of the family of God. So not only did Ananias refer to him or God referred to him as a chosen vessel, but the Bible says in verse 17 he's referred to as Brother Saul, 17. Verse 17, Brother Saul. Ananias went his way, entered the house, laid hands on him and said, Brother Saul. Brother Saul. And not only is he a chosen vessel, not only is he Brother Saul, but the Bible says in verse number 5 that Saul called Jesus Lord. And the Scripture says that anybody that calls on the Lord shall be saved. And we know that Saul was later Paul because he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. So he had a conversion experience. And Acts chapter 9 gives us the indication that Saul was converted. So what's your point, preacher? When Ananias got to the house, he laid hands on him that he might receive the Holy Ghost. Because it is a separate experience from salvation. Saul was converted on the road to Damascus, but yet Ananias went to his house laid hands on him that he might receive the Holy Ghost. You say, well, pastor, he don't speak in tongues. But we forget that he wrote the book of 1 Corinthians and it was the same man that said, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. So Saul was converted. Saul was born again. Saul had an experience with God. And God told Ananias, I want you to go to his house, lay hands on him, that he might receive the Holy Spirit, verse 17. And then you know what happens? He is saved. He receives the Holy Spirit. And then the Bible says, look at it, in verse number 18, look at it, Acts 9, verse 18, immediately, look at this, there fell from his eyes, because that's what happens when you get saved, they fell from his eyes, something like scales, he received his sight at once. He arose and was baptized. Right there is the three baptisms. First, 
The first baptism is the baptism of salvation. You are immersed into the family of God. Saul is immersed into the family of God. He is brother Saul now. He is in the family of God. Number two, it is the second baptism is the baptism of water. And Saul here was baptized in water. The third baptism is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And according to verse 17, Saul receives the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So what are you saying, preacher? All three of them is important. It's important that you experience conversion. It's important that you are water baptized as a public witness to the community of faith. And number three, it is important that you receive the Spirit in baptism so that you could be a witness for Him in this world. Saul was not only saved and converted, but he received the Spirit and he was also water baptized. What about Acts chapter 10? This is the house, this is the Gentiles. The Gentiles, Acts chapter 10, verse number 44. Acts chapter 10, verse 44. This is the story where the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the Gentiles. Who is a Gentile? A non-Jew. Acts chapter 10, verse 44. Acts chapter 10, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who heard His word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, look at this. Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who had received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them that they should be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. You see what happened? These Gentiles were already saved. And how do I know that? Because Acts chapter 10 is the account of them being saved. So Acts chapter 10, they're already saved. And guess what? When Peter is speaking, the Holy Spirit comes and it fills the house and the gift of the Holy Spirit came and they begin to speak with other tongues and not only did they get the baptism of the Holy Ghost, but number three, they were baptized in water. Do you see, ladies and gentlemen, three baptisms? They were immersed into the family of God. They are immersed in water as a public witness and then they are immersed in the fire of the Spirit to be a witness. Hallelujah. You see what's happening here? They heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. What is speaking in tongues? We believe, according to the book of Acts, that the very first thing, not the only thing, but the very first thing that usually will happen when somebody receives the Holy Spirit is that they will speak with other languages. It's called glossolalia. They will speak a language. Now, there are times that that language could be understood by people as it happened in Acts chapter 2. But then there also is a private language where we pray unto God and these people spoke with tongues and they magnify God because that's what happens when you speak in tongues. It is directed to God and you magnify God. So they spoke with tongues. They magnify God. And then Peter said, Can anyone forbid water baptism? They've already received the Holy Spirit. Let's baptize them in water. What about Acts chapter 19? And this will be my last one. Acts chapter 19. You're, you're, you've been good tonight. Thank you so much for being patient. 
Acts chapter 19, verse number 1. And I want you to see this. This is awesome. One of my favorite ones. Acts chapter 19, verse number 1. Acts chapter 19, verse number 1. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions of Ephesus, finding some disciples. Now what does he say to the disciples? Verse number 2. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Okay. So they said to him, we've not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Verse number 3. And he said to them, into what baptism was you baptized? And they answered, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, now, don't this sound familiar? Because we've quoted it several times today. John indeed baptized you with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So you know what happened? They got saved. They believed the message. They were baptized. Verse number 6, And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues, and they prophesied. You see, not only were they baptized in the name of Jesus, not only were they engrafted into the fellowship of faith, but they were also received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is a separate experience. So what are you saying, preacher? Now, there's some other examples that we could look at, but I'm going to be conservative on my time. And I have went over Scripture. I've looked at the Old Testament over and over. You see in the book of Acts where it seems to be that these two experiences are separate. Someone is saved, someone believes the gospel, they are converted, but then there is another experience where they receive the Holy Spirit. And what is the purpose of that? Why do we need the Holy Spirit? We need the Holy Spirit because it enables us to be a witness for Him. That is the purpose of it. And the evidence that we've received it, according to the book of Acts, is that their language changes. And what is that language? It is the gift of the Holy Spirit is the first thing, and that is a language to God. Now, some people get freaked out by speaking in tongues, but speaking in tongues is a language. It is not a language to you. It is a language to God. And language is used for communication. The reason I have English language is because it's given to me so I can communicate to the world around me. And the reason that God gives you that spiritual language is that you can communicate to the spiritual world. Because there is more to life than the physical world. There is also the spiritual world as well. Somebody say amen. Amen. Somebody say praise the Lord. Now what about it, my friend? Have you received the Holy Spirit? Have you received the gift of the Holy Spirit? Have you been touched by the presence of God? Oh, I'm glad you're saved. I'm glad the blood's been applied to you. I'm glad you have the Holy Spirit, but have you received the baptism of fire? Have you received it? Oh, I can tell you where I was when I received it. I was standing in a little, I was standing in church in Elkins, West Virginia, 11 years old, standing there, and I was singing. And all of a sudden, as I was singing, no joke, my language changed. I was filled with the Holy Spirit right in the church service. Let me tell you something. If you are hungry, 
the only, only thing you have to be is saved. Are you a believer and are you hungry for it? You don't have to wait all night for it. As a matter of fact, the Bible says the apostles laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah! You know what can happen tonight? I can lay hands on you. The elders of this church can lay hands on you and you can receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. You can receive the promise of the Father. You can receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost by one touch. Are you hungry for it? What about those tonight? Maybe you haven't prayed in tongues in a long time. Maybe you just pray in tongues just a little bit here and there. Oh, can you feel the Spirit tonight? He is calling us to exercise that gift and pray unto God tonight and magnify God in that heavenly language tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, all of us need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, John, uh, the Paul said, be, be not drunk with wine, but be ye filled with the Holy Ghost. Do you know what being drunk with alcohol will do? If you drink enough alcohol, it will change your behavior. Well, guess what? If you can get a hold of the Holy Ghost, He can change your behavior. Woo! I'm convinced tonight, Pastor David, what we need tonight is not another sermon, another song, and another church. What we need tonight is the Holy Ghost to invade us, to baptize us once again with His power and His glory like He did in the days of old. Moses said, oh, that the people would prophesy and be prophets again. God, in the day of Pentecost, broke every gender barrier. He broke every generational barrier. He broke racism and He broke every denominational barrier. The Holy Spirit now is poured out upon the old, on the young, upon our children, upon every denominational across region across this world. It's just not a Pentecostal thing. It is a Baptist thing and a Methodist thing. My God, the Holy Ghost is moving in the Catholic Church because it's breaking down denominational barriers. Hallelujah. In the early 60s, the charismatic movement was started because an Episcopal priest got filled with the Holy Ghost in California and that movement spread throughout America because he was hungry. What would happen, ladies and gentlemen, if a few people in a little city called Galena just got hungry for the Holy Ghost. 